Thorpe leaves Greens in Lurch, Dark Brandon rises, and good news about the sea. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am your co-host Ben Davison and joining me here in the sunny central highlands of Victoria is the great, the glorious, my co-host for the week on Wednesday live at Adelaide Fringe Festival. In two weeks. Starting in two weeks and running for four weeks in a row. So make in sure Adelaide, live in a yurt. Best-selling author of QAnon and On, a short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults, my wife and your friend, <laughs> Van Badham. How are you, Van? Hi. Well... We are a bit late getting the show out today because Ben has been in Adelaide doing all kinds of fun things today. And I had a mental health episode. Yeah. Hooray! Oh, I just love major depressive disorder. It is the best, guys. If you're going to have a mental illness, it's the fun one because the bit where you just like lie on the ground and have no energy to keep living, that's woo! You know, what a ride. Indeed. Indeed. It's uh, obviously companion with grief and all sorts of things today has been a tough day. You. Yeah, not a favourite. Not a favourite. Not a favourite today. No. But I'm feeling a lot better. I had a rest. Yes. Wow. Did some self-care. Stood in the garden. Self-care is good. Yeah, drank as much tea as my little Tom was capable of processing and cuddled the dog. So I'm halfway back to normal. We recommend self-care to everyone. We think self-care is good. We think dealing with your mental health is a good thing to do. Yes, and I'm always very honest about it because a lot of the problem is the stigma. Indeed. You know, and it's something I live with. I hate it. I wish I didn't have it, but I do. And I had a bad day today, but I'm here. That's right. We're here. And look, you know, someone who's not uh, where everyone thought they would be uh, is, of course, Lydia Thorpe. Now, before we talk about Lydia Thorpe, I do want to say this was the first parliamentary sitting week of 2023. And the Albanese Labor government has a big agenda. Massive, huge. I are. Uh environment, sustainability, women, so many things being talked about. Yeah, extension of paid parental leave. Uh, national cultural policy. So many so many big things. They're talking about possibly two more tranches of industrial relations reform this year. Which will be transformative for the lives of working people in Australia, yeah. Ben. And, of course, if you are a working person in Australia, uh, you should be a member of your union. You go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W. You can join online. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, that link will help you find the right union for you. And just be aware, my primary occupation is playwright and there is a union for me. Absolutely. I am a very proud member of the Great Australian Writers Guild, which represents writers for uh, screen, games, um, television and film obviously within screen and for stage and radio yeah. writers and, like, all kinds of people who, who write for the performative mediums. We have our own union. It's amazing. There's a union for everyone. Of course, the Albanese agenda for 2023, you know, it extends into health and education, so many important things that need to be discussed. But, of course, the first parliamentary sitting day, most of the first week, quite frankly, thus far, has been dominated in the media at least by discussion of Lydia Thorpe. Now, Van, Lydia Thorpe, is, of course, now the former deputy leader of the Greens, a senator from Victoria, elected by uh, the Greens, or for the Greens, I should say. For the Greens. For the Greens. By voters who 
in overwhelmingly voted above the line for the grant. Yeah, I mean, this is really quite significant. So the electoral history of uh, Lydia Thorpe was she won a by-election in the state seat of Northcote yes. for the Greens after the death of, full disclosure here, my friend Fiona Richardson, former Minister for Women in the state of Victoria. Um, Fiona died and there was a by-election and Lydia had quite a resounding victory. She did. Had an 11% uh, victory over the Labor candidates. Now, I want to say for those listening who go, oh, that sounds like a really significant swing against what was and is a popular Andrews Labor government, it's important to remember that it's very, very rare for sitting governments of any stripe to win by-elections, and Northcote obviously proved no exception in that regard. No, no exception, but Lydia was hailed as the next big thing, obviously First Nations woman, uh, you know, this historical arrival in the lower house of Victoria Mm -hmm. and representing the kind of demographic change that's taken place in the inner city of Melbourne that used to be a very working-class Labor voting era, has now, of course, gentrified and hence electoral pressure from the Greens. Where the money is, the Green and Teal votes tend to follow. So there's Lydia elected to Parliament. She lasted a year because at the state election in 2018, she was uh, she lost to Cathy Offenus, who is the Labor member who has since consolidated her victory and won a second election as the member for Northcote. Um, Cathy Offenus had an even larger swing in her favour than the one that Lydia received in order to win the seat. And I think what's really interesting for me here is that because you've done some research on this, and so full credit to you, Van, because the research on this is that um, Lydia Thorpe's state election defeat, she received 16,816 first preference votes uh, compared to Kat Diophanis, who received 17,748 first preference. Yeah, so Kat beat her on primaries as well. So that's a that's a pretty uh, resounding uh, victory in what is demographically, which people have said, I think you and I said this on our election night show with uh, our good friend uh, Stephen, Stephen Donnelly from Socially Democratic, another great podcast. That, yep. that Northcote uh, was likely to go green this election and didn't. Kat Diophanis held it again. But... You know, Lydia Thorpe lost the lost that seat. Has gone on, went on to win pre-selection uh, for the Greens when Richard Di Natale up and quit the Senate. He retired. He'd had enough, and off he trundled in. I don't even know what he's doing now, but no, no idea. He trundled off, and of course, the Greens had a process where the members got to vote. There was an open field. Uh, Julian Burnside has come out today, who was one of the candidates. So the final two candidates, it was between Lydia Thorpe and Julian Burnside for the Greens to have an internal pre-selection vote for who was going to replace Richard Di Natale because and therefore was, be the Greens candidate for the Senate in the federal election. Because when a senator, when a senator retires from the Senate, the state elects, chooses the appropriate person nominated by their party. There was a referendum about this, by there the was, way. There was, there um, was. Uh, to fill that vacancy. So the Greens, you know, had the right to pick somebody and it came down to Lydia Thorpe or Julian Burnside. Julian Burnside, the refugee advocate and uh, QC. Yeah, who did the waterfront dispute, represented the workers at the waterfront dispute all them years ago. Uh, and, of course, Lydia Thorpe, History shows went on to win that uh, internal ballot, was appointed to the Senate position, uh, and then, of course, being the sitting senator, 
ran at the 2019 election for a six-year term. For a six-year term to represent the voters of Victoria. Now, this is where it gets interesting. So this is Lydia who um, – these Senate seats are very coveted because they are six years. Yeah, it's a six-year term. And it's a 210, $215,000 a year job. Oh, right? yeah. And she received the seat by the grace of the Greens voters who supported her 58% of the of the Greens mm-hmm. membership who voted in Victoria, voted for Lydia. Yeah. That's about 2,500 people yeah. in a state of 7 million. I think about six, but yep. Yeah, put her there. And... Um, then it went to a federal election with Lydia as the sitting senator, top of the Greens ticket. Now, I I found some information about this the other day, which I found really very interesting, given the fact that she has quit the Greens six months into a six year term, mm-hmm. and and has declared herself the leader of a uh, black sovereign movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, that she got. Less votes below the line. So when you vote below the line, you're voting for who you want. You're picking the candidate. You're picking you the individuals. Yeah, that's right. You're right, picking, not the party. You vote right. for individuals beneath the line. So of a quota, she got about 8%, 40,000 votes. So statewide, she just got slightly, slightly more, like slightly more than double the votes she got just in Northcote. So really, you're talking about two state seats worth of votes. Lydia Thorpe managed to get for her brand, her brand, her name. Her below brand the line. as Lydia Thorpe below the line. The rest. The and let's remember, Greens voters, uh, the people who vote number, like who will vote number one for a Greens candidate, mm-hmm. are the biggest below the line voters. Yeah, and the other nearly half a million first preference votes that the that that Lydia benefited from were. To the Greens above the line. Yeah, to the Greens as a party. So yeah. she got party votes. These weren't votes in her own right. They were people who were like, I want a Green. I want whoever the Greens have picked as their number one is who I want to elect. Yeah. Now, interestingly, and I didn't know this because I'm not a, as much of a Senate nerd as other people <laughs> I know, that Lydia did not, even with that Green support, did not earn a quota in her own right. No. Labor voters got Lydia elected. That's right. Um, because of their preferences, Labor had a bit more than they needed and because of the way preferencing works, some Labor votes travelled because Labor people had all been elected, um, some of those votes travelled to Lydia. But this is what, like, what's quoted for a Senate seat in Victoria? Uh, just over, it's over half a million. It's, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's important for people to understand this. Like, this is not an individual who represents a massive personal following. Lydia was elected because she represents the Greens. And quite honestly, her defeat in Northcote, she won the seat because she was a Green. She lost the seat because she's Lydia Thorpe because people changed their party alignment in terms of how they were voting on after yeah. her year performing in that particular and job. And during that year, it's important that we think about some of the things that happened in that year. Like what did Lydia Thorpe do in that year? Well, she tried to blow up the Victorian treaty process. She did. She uh, wanted changes to the Victorian treaty process that had not been agreed by the stakeholders in that process, i.e. the First Nations communities of Victoria. She Was it during that year that she walked out of the Uluru process or was it after that year? Uh, I'm trying to remember, but she led a very small group of people who who protested Makarata, the Uluru Statement from the Heart, 
process. She was from a rebel group and they didn't want to sign on to it. This was a process involving 1,200 representatives of First Nations communities. And it was less than 10 people. As I it's like it was, it was not a significant number. Yeah, it, it was not yeah. a competitive minority, I believe, is the polite term. <laughs> well, if, you, if you're into democracy, which it's starting to look like perhaps Lydia Thorpe's not that into, I mean, then what, what has struck me about this, obviously there's a lot of discussion in the media about this is going to continue to be, but the fundamentally, when I watched uh, Lydia Thorpe's announcement that she was quitting the Greens after they got her a six-year term in the Senate, you know, basically six months after that had started, you know, she stood in what looked like a big empty hallway and announced that she was going to lead a black sovereign movement, a grassroots black sovereign movement uh, by herself. You know, and there's an old saying for anyone who watches the West Wing or who watched the West Wing, you know, what do you call a leader uh, who's, uh, who doesn't have any followers? It's a person taking a walk. Well, that's what it looked like to me when Lydia Thorpe stood up there and said, I am now the leader of this thing, which frankly, I mean, you've done some research here and I'm glad you have because I think a lot of people are scratching their heads going, what is Lydia Thorpe talking about? We thought she was a green. We thought that given 80% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders support the voice, given that 67% of all Australians support the voice. Given the fact the organised opposition to the voice is coming from the hard right. And given that the, the Uluru process asked for the voice to be put forward, that that's the path we've all been on. And now here's this person claiming to lead a movement while standing in a big empty hallway on the first day of Parliament in 2023. What is going on? Okay, so the context of this, the, the flashpoint is, of course, the constitutional referendum required to institute the voice to Parliament. And we've talked about the voice to Parliament on the show before. Yeah, absolutely. So Macarada, was, which was this process involving representatives from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island communities across Australia was part of a long deliberative process led by First Nations people, deliberated that the path towards um, the path towards reconciliation, the path towards justice for First Nations Australia, the, the path for overcoming the structural racism of being like a, a colonial country. Yeah, the result of you know, colonial invasion and settlement of this country, that the path for dealing with that was three-step. One, a voice to parliament, a, a body that would be constitutive of First Nations people that would have an advisory role over the government to determine the framework by which First Nations issues could be resolved. This is really important for people to get their heads around, right, because where, where do things start? Yeah. Like where do you start the process of what happens next, which is a treaty process? So part of the complexity of, of you know, the reality which is Australia and the nation of Australia is that the settler colonists declared, representing the British Crown, claimed the continent of Australia saying it was terra nullius, empty land, yeah. right, which was not true. There were a million First Nations people from at least 200 nations yeah. or, or nation groupings yeah. who were living here, right? Obviously, this is a colonial lie. It was used to perpetuate mass murder, extermination, like genocide, the worst things. Horrific imaginable. crimes. Yeah. Absolutely horrific, unforgivable, at atrocious. What it means is that sovereignty was not acknowledged because 
Terra Nullius, this lie that it was empty, didn't say you are a you know sovereign yeah. state and we're invading you and colonizing you and this is a war of conquest. Like the typical sort of engagements for people who get into you know wars of conquest and you know legal ramifications of were not in place. So the concepts that were spelled out in the Treaty of Westphalia that governed conflict between. I'm princes, so in love with Ben. He's brought in the Treaty of Westphalia. Tell Which, us about it. Well, ben. the Treaty of Westphalia governs the governs the concept of conflict between princes and expanded to be about the conflict between nations. And of course, in some colonial uh, settlements, like in parts of America, you have treaties, and you had treaties from day one. You had a sort of recognition of, say, the Iroquois nation. In North America and various trees, most of which were broken. Let's be honest. Oh yeah, absolutely broken with like violence and mass murder. But I mean, the, let's let's not but let's the, not pretend. But the general principle of nation to nation interaction was observed in Australia. That's not what happened. Aboriginal people until midway through the twentieth century were not considered people, uh, and and that's horrific in itself. And so there was no. You know, just no concept that that was how things were going to be done. So now, of course, we have a much better understanding that that was wrong, horrifically, horrifically wrong. And now we're in a trying to find a process, find a way forward that reconciles that history with a present that says, actually, we want an Australia that's inclusive of all people that recognises and understands our history, that tries to make good the mistakes of the past and moves forward in a prosperous and inclusive future, right? Yeah, for the contemporary moment. I mean, this is the thing. A lot of our understanding of what treaties look like between settler colonial powers and um, Indigenous communities is based in like hundreds year hundreds of year old paradigms and negotiations which were generally backed up with extreme settler colonial violence. Yeah, Treaty of Westphalia was a 16th century device. Yeah, and this is the thing. This is when people resolved like contests over lands with muskets and yeah. cannon. Yeah. And we don't do that anymore, which is good unless you're Russia, but let's not even get into that. So, I mean, this is the thing. How do we go about this process where does this come from? How do we even begin a conversation? Well, beginning the conversation, the point of Makarata was to go, we will set the framework for the conversation that we need to have. And this is this is where Albo's, um, you know, Prime Minister Albanese's- uh, Albo, everyone know, calls him Albo, come uh, on. Indigenous Australians have given us this invitation. That's where that comes from, right? Like he's saying that-, that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders have have created this framework and said the the invitation for the rest of us is to join them in this discussion and this is the starting point, this is the next step. We we need to endorse the voice because this is what they've asked us to do in order to be able to have. Which is an inversion of the colonial paradigm, okay? So the colonial paradigm would be settler colonists go, you can have this. Yeah. Right? Now, amazingly, and this is what's incredible about the Uluru Statement from the Heart, is that that inversion has been recognised, that those communities met, determined their own process, went, right, the path is a voice, then a treaty, and then a truth-telling 
right? Yeah. So we will, the voice will establish the context for us to have the conversations around the treaty because we're not dealing with a homogenous mass of people. First Nations Australians aren't one cultural grouping, hundreds of languages, like yeah. different traditions, like different people. It's like literally saying that, you know, all Belgians represent all Turks. Like yeah. it's not, it's, One you know, Europe. <laughs> it's one, yeah, one European guy. Some guy called Pierre will just speak for all of us. Yeah. Like that's as ridiculous as just homogenising Indigenous Australia. There's got to be a framework and this is what has come from First Nations communities is the voice is to set that framework. We cannot underline this enough, yeah. right? So we can lead into a treaty process as modern people recognising the the unbearable injustice of the past. And that we now live in a democracy and we all live together and we need to continue to do that in a way that is harmonious and yeah. democratic, right? Like that fundamentally those principles are not up for uh, for abolition. Like I don't... The principle of democracy is not up for abolition. No matter what any like right-wing loons on the internet tell you, that is not what is happening here. But, right? this, but this, is the, this is the bit that this is the bit that gets me, right? Because, you know, when when Lydia Thorpe talks about um, a sovereign movement, you know, what does that mean? Because, you know, it sounds to me like Lydia Thorpe wants to be made Tsarina of Australia uh, based on 40,000 below-the-line votes in Victoria, and that just doesn't seem very democratic to me. Well, I mean, there's more to it than that. So the the black sovereignty movement is, is a strain of like black political activism in Australia. Um, probably the best, based on my research, the best uh, representative, re- like representation of mm-hmm. that particular movement is the Aboriginal Tent Embassy, right. which has been set up on the lawns of Parliament House, you know, representing Indigenous communities as as an ongoing activist presence that defies the existence of Australia. As and The belief of the Black Sovereign Movement is that Australia doesn't exist because mm-hmm. a treaty never happened, because there was never that discussion of or recognition of First Nations sovereignty. So that raises two questions. One, has Lydia Thorpe been elected by the Aboriginal Ten Embassy to be the leader of that movement, uh, to your knowledge, no, because that hasn't—I haven't seen that reported anywhere. So no, and, and and if if that's the movement that Lydia Thorpe is now going to lead um, as a senator for Victoria, um, given that that's on the lawns of Parliament House, I mean, I, I, you probably can't answer this, but why did she not have her press conference surrounded by people from that movement, given they were there, effectively, you know? Just across the road. Look, when it comes to Lydia Thorpe, there are many questions. <laughs> One of them is why did she swear an oath in the parliament to serve the Queen? Well, this is. This I mean, is that's the, the big question, one. Because right? I've got to say, like, my heritage is Irish and um, Sinn Fein, which is yep. the Irish Republican Party in Northern Ireland, relentlessly gets elected to represent um, Republican voters. Mm-hmm. And they do not sit in the House. They never take their seats in the Houses of Parliament, even though they are entitled to yep. because they refuse to swear in Westminster, yeah. yeah. In Westminster because 
they refuse to swear an oath of allegiance to the Queen. And, I mean, and so there's a precedent for not swearing the oath and holding the seat as a political statement that I, you can can imagine I have rather a lot of cultural affinity with given my heritage and background. I personally wouldn't run, one of the many reasons I wouldn't run for office is I couldn't swear allegiance to the Queen or King. Like, I couldn't do it. Anyway, Lydia did. Like, she signed on. She swore that sacred oath in in Parliament mm, mm. to represent the people of Victoria. Mm. She didn't swear an oath. This should be noted to represent the grains. That's not what's required. Yeah. Like parties don't exist in the Constitution. They exist by tradition and habit and convention. Having said that, most parties do require individuals to sign a pledge or sign some form of commitment when they are going to be an office bearer or run for public office. Oh, yeah, because parties pay for the campaign infrastructure that gets people elected. Yeah. Like Lydia Thorpe had a campaign machine behind her, printing flyers, door knocking, volunteering time, buying advertising, putting up billboards, like all of those contributions Mm -hmm. are made by the party, not by the individual. I don't know how it works in the Greens, if they tithe or pay part of their income or whatever, Mm. but they fundraise as a party and resource themselves as a party. That's how these things work. So parties tend to take it pretty badly if you, and in the Labor Party, the language for getting elected by Labor and then changing sides is called ratting. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, and infamous examples of ratting include Mal Colston, Mm -hmm. who was the senator who switched sides under Howard because he wanted to be deputy president of the Senate. Good on you, Mal. Mm -hmm. Well done. Only thing he's remembered for is ratting. Mm. To... Uh, Labor MPs in South Australia who ratted on Labor to support electricity privatisation in South Australia, which was, of course, a massive disaster, and nobody even remembers their names. They're just referred to as the rats, Yeah. even now. And Billy Hughes, of course, who was a Prime Minister, is referred to as Billy the Rat or that rat Hughes because- he ratted on Labor and then he ratted on another political party. I mean, he just had He ratted four different political parties. However, so <laughs> ratting, ratting, and this is, I mean, this is a piece of Labor culture. For, yeah. like, is, I mean, it's frowned upon. Yeah, Can I absolutely. say it is frowned upon? And traditionally, rats are people who've been in a party for a very long time yeah. and drift away ideologically, get influenced by the other people who they're having lunch with or yeah. whatever. And it's always controversial. Yeah. Like there's this mythology in parts of the internet discourse at the moment that Lydia is being judged harshly and some very harsh words have been said about Lydia's defection um, that, you know, that she's copying disproportional amounts of criticism. But Cory Bernardi did this. Mm. Cory Bernardi, who was like Liberal Party head kicker from South Australia, on the hard right, you know, mm. was the one who insisted that if marriage equality passed, everybody would be marrying their cat. That didn't happen. Yeah. Corey, please get a grip, friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he he did exactly the same thing. Like he left the Liberal Party to start his own Australian Conservative Party and it was a massive scandal. Yeah, and he was, was called scandal. names by other members of his uh, former party. Absolutely. Yeah, it yeah. was a scandal when Jackie Laby got elected with Clive Palmer's millions and then yeah. turned around and went, I'm going to just do my own thing. Yeah. You know, it was, it, it's always a scandal when this happens because you're not, there's not some separate entity, which is the party, like an eight headed occup- like octopus that is half computer and sits in a corner and sort of generates 
campaign machinery, there are hundreds of volunteers and fundraisers mm. and people's money that goes into representing a particular point of view. So the criticism that has been of her, and of course it's been very public, Julian Burnside mm. has said, well, she was ele- she doesn't seem to understand that she was elected to represent the Greens and Greens policy, mm. not whatever she felt like doing. That's not that's not the thing. Um, there was a piece by David Crow in the Sydney Morning Herald saying that it's one of the great political betrayals of all time because she has been in the parliament for such a short period of time. Yeah. And it is so close after she's just been elected. It's what, six months? Yeah, yeah. Since well, she ran as a Green and got those Green votes to be elected. In, I think 1st July was when the Senate was sworn in. Yeah. Now, the context of what's going on with her has to do with her allegiance to the Black Serenity Movement. Yeah. And her, this has been problematic in terms of the process around the voice. Originally, and this may come as news to people, the Greens wholeheartedly embraced the Makarata process and recognised the voice treaty truth order of how they believed, you know, like this path determined by First Nations people by overwhelming majority yep. of their representatives that the country was going to be set off. The Indigenous elders who work with the trade union movement, for example, have signed off on that process as well. They've put that forward through the ACTU, the Australian Council of Trade Union. Like it's working through every a broad-based kind of, democratic yeah, yeah. process, negotiating with the rest of the community, yeah. right? Which is what we want. We want there to be an equitable negotiation that empowers First Nations people to drive this process, to invert that old yeah. colonial paradigm. Where the Greens have had issues, where it's gotten very sticky, is Lydia does not support and didn't. Was that? It, she walked out of the. She walked out of Villaroy with her people, and told her, she told people her nan told her to do it. Right, and well, she does not want there to be a voice first. She wants a treaty first. Right. Okay, so she after her participation in the Greens, very very short time in the Senate was promoted very rapidly by the Greens internally, was deputy leader, Mm -hmm. was also the spokesperson for Indigenous Affairs. Not the only First Nations Green senator, by the way. Mm. Dorinda Cox, who's from Western Australia, is also Indigenous, Mm. but Lydia was given the spokesperson role. And the Greens' position changed from being voice treaty truth to being treaty truth voice, which doesn't make a lot of sense, frankly, because the point of the voice is to determine the framework for negotiations of the treaty, sure. right? That's where we're going. There is there is a structure and an argument and a plan, and we refer you again to all of the writing that Marsha Langton has done on this issue that she summarised in Crikey in her Saturday well. paper, rather, like all these other publications. And... This means that the Greens were sort of in this position where they supported the voice but they didn't because they wanted treaty to come first, but they knew there could be no treaty without the voice, but they wanted treaty, like in this sort of circular argument, being pushed, let's face it, by Lydia. Yeah. And like I said, Lydia was made deputy leader of the Greens. Which position she had to give up when it turned out she had not disclosed personal relationships with former bikies who she was meeting with during lunchtimes. Parliament House, or in the grounds of the parliamentary precinct, is probably fairer to say. When she was discussing legislation affecting law, the, law, the, the uh, legal status of motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah, which is a problem. Now, we want to be really clear. We're not saying that she uh, did anything wrong there in terms of providing information that she shouldn't. There's no accusation about that. 
but the non-disclosure, of course, creates a perception of a conflict of interest. And people who are familiar with conflict of interest will know that the perception of a conflict of interest is something you've got to deal with before it becomes a conflict of interest. Yeah. So there were some issues. There were also allegations of bullying and bullying, I should say, First Nations elders on the grounds of Parliament House that were reported. There were some statements like appearing to celebrate sovereign citizens who are a Mm. group of usually quite white Australians who claim that the laws of Australia don't apply to them, that they are sovereign as individuals, when they set Old Parliament House on fire and Lydia put out some poorly worded tweets which were very controversial. Generally, one doesn't align oneself with the far-right sovereign citizen movement in any way. That is not something I would recommend doing. But there were like numerous incidents around representation, representing the Greens. Like Mm. one mistake can be considered unfortunate. Three or four suggests a pattern and I don't – one can only imagine what has been going on internally because the Greens, of course, are now in this situation where the voice referendum is happening the Labor government is moving very quickly to make sure this happens. This is a policy priority of the Prime Minister's, not to mention also Linda Burney, extremely yeah. Indigenous, who is the Indigenous Affairs Minister mm-hmm. in the Albanese government, who is is leading this process legislatively. You know, we have the largest proportion of First Nations MPs in Australian history. There are 11, all right, not only in the Greens and not only in the Labor Party, but also there are... Um, uh, members of the Liberal Party who mm. are First Nations as well. It's quite consider- considerable. So the issue is that the Greens weren't able to articulate a clear position on the voice. And, of course, they're running out of time. If they can't... But, they, but they've done it now. Like all, almost immediately after Lydia Thorpe announced she was leading a movement in a big empty room, the Greens said, yep, we're fully behind the voice. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it's obviously been costing them some pain, the fact that People who want it, well, like white Australians who want to be good allies, who don't want to perpetuate colonial injustice, mm-hmm. who want to look at a restructuralization of you know the way that inherited systems deal with First Nations Australia, like people want to do the right thing, mm. right? Overwhelmingly, people and, want to do the right thing. And again, I want to stress: eighty percent of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders want the voice. That's yes. the latest research. At least, yeah. Yeah, at least. You know, some some numbers have that as high as 86%. Yeah. But, I mean, so overwhelmingly, and, and again, like I want to come back to this issue around democracy because we live in a democracy. You and I talk about the importance of democracy and social democracy and democratic socialism and 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 what I feel increasingly is happening here is that Lydia Thorpe and perhaps some people who support her, I don't know, but Lydia Thorpe is putting forward a view that runs counter to the prevailing democratic processes, the prevailing democratic will. She is on record saying that her agenda is to establish an Aboriginal-led Black Republic in Australia. She did an interview with Junkie where she talked about this um, and the argument is that that Aboriginal sovereignty should determine 
the the essentially the legal reality of First Nations Australians. Right. Right? So that um, uh, traditional law or custom practice would predominate over settler colonial law as Lydia articulates it. It's interesting looking at her statements on record where Lydia seems to be having an argument with 1788. Right. You know, where she talks about the king and um, rich people in another country and I think she's referring to the royal family and it very much exists in that kind of context, like not in a context of a con- like continually reformed Australian state yeah. that is, you know, that it has is evolutionary. That is evolutionary. That has universal enfranchisement. That's trying to move towards a republic. And of course, the voice is important because it establishes a frame of reference for a republic discussion yeah. about what an Australian republic would look like. How uh, how that countenances. Um, like First Nations peoples, who gets represented, how does our head of state, all of these things are an argument to have a voice, an actual structure that engages the institutions that have been inherited from that settler colonial project. Well, it's interesting too because since um, quitting the Greens, uh, Lydia Thorpe has said that people need to check themselves about criticising her, which I think is a bit, it's a bit outlandish by itself, but also that, um, you know, she wants to meet with the king, so with King Charles. I can't think of anyone I would <laughs> rather meet less, uh, perhaps. But also, also. I mean, perhaps like Putin and like genocidal dictators, but sure. also like why, but, why would but, anyone but want Charles to But Charles is, Charles is the monarch. He has no political power in our system or in even the UK system. Uh and he meets with other heads of state. Occasionally he'll meet with heads of government if they're Commonwealth heads of government or he's asked to meet with heads of government by his own head of government. But Lydia Thorpe is not a head of state. Lydia Thorpe is not a head of government. Well, she says as a senator she should have the right to meet the king. Okay. Well, I mean, if the king like, visits the Senate, maybe. Sure. And <laughs> I don't know how I'd feel about the king visiting the Senate, quite frankly. Yeah. As a Republican, I, 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 I'm not happy with that. I would, like, I would have thought maybe, I mean, I would have assumed, and clearly I'm wrong, that Lydia Thorpe might have been tempted to protest the visit of a, of, of of a, a British monarch. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, I would like the British flag removed from the Australian flag. Like, yeah. I would like Australia to become a republic. You know, I, I, it's, it's really, it's interesting. Like, it is really interesting because the, there's not a lot of detail from Lydia Thorpe about what she actually wants. Like, there's this, this notion that I want to live in a black republic and, you know, my sovereignty has never been ceded and I want sovereignty recognised. And it's like, but who does that? Like, if you want a bureaucracy to determine that frame of reference for you, that's the voice, isn't it? You want a treaty, but who's going to negotiate that? Like, what are the institutions that exist, that are representative, that there is a democratic process for First Nations people to determine these aren't the things that are coming out? Can I just say this? It just sounds to me more and more like Lydia Thorpe is a sovereign citizen. <laughs> like, you know, putting aside some of the some of the more classic tropes around sovereign citizens and and the, often the inherent racism that comes with them, 
this sounds about as well thought out. You know, like some of them at least issue their own, you know, made-up licenses and number plates and things. By the way, they're not legitimate and you will end up in jail with a criminal record. Uh, Do uh, not use them. Yeah, absolutely. Like this just seems to me, and look, there's no question that you spend any time online, you'll see people say that they support Lydia Thorpe. There's very little detail about that. It's usually a reaction to people criticising Lydia Thorpe, whether it's because she's quit the green so quickly, whether it's because there's a lack of detail about what a black uh, sovereign republic movement looks like, whether it's because of her other behaviours, which you've outlined uh, tonight. The support for her tends to be reaction rather than Oh, Lydia has really spelled out a, an agenda, an ideology, a movement, and I want to be part of it. There seems to be a bit of guilty, oh, well, I should pay the rent because Lydia Thorpe says I should pay money to black people. I have noticed that there is a conspicuous cohort of white people who desperately want to be seen to be doing the right thing as yeah. well. But, I mean, it like I... I cannot speak to the experience of being a First Nations person. No, and neither can I. And, like, I, I can appreciate merely as an observer that the, that the, geno- that the legacy of genocide is horrific and traumatising and trust in a state, even if it has devolved from that original violent colonial power, would be minimal. Yeah. Like, that is, that is obvious to any thinking, feeling human being, even if they can't. Even if they have absolutely no shred of life experience to understand what that would be like, at the same time, we there are twenty five million people who live on the continent of Australia, and we have to work out a way to overcome the injustice of the past, to like fairly enfranchise people, mm. to with the with the institutions we have, we have to make them work properly, and a process has been determined. First Nations people, uh, supported by First Nations people, led, directed, advocated, prosecuted to get us on the path of of restorative yeah. justice, right? That And that's fantastic. What an amazing thing to happen in our lifetime. The idea that a minority within that community is advocating on behalf of that entire community mm. Is problematic, like, yeah. and it's pro- it's it, the reason why I think this conversation has become really important. Um, it really a flashpoint is, quite honestly, it serves the interests of the establishment. Yeah, you know, if there's a, if if the likes of Peter Dutton and Gina Reinhart and everybody else, you know, traditional right wing suspects who are all bitterly opposed to the voice because they are profiting from the status quo and they don't want anything to change. Like the the idea that um, someone like Lydia, who has the persona of being, you know, a radical and mm-hmm. you know this leader of a black sovereign movement, it's very convenient because they can use her as cover for their own desire to sink the voice and muddy the waters and 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 confuse people in both around. directions, right? Yeah, because it's both. Well, you know. They can say, well, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders don't all agree, so we're voting no. But they can also say, here's Lydia Thorpe with her undemocratic black republic and, you know, if we get the voice, then 
who knows that what will happen next. Like it becomes both a you can feel guiltless about it, but you can also be afraid if that's like they can they can kind of go to both ends of the spectrum on that. Yeah, right? and if this seems familiar, this is exactly what the Conservatives did with the Republican referendum in 1999, 2000. Yeah, yeah, 1999, yeah. 1999, which I remember so bitterly, where what they relied upon was they actually re- relied on people who supported the Republic, people who identified as Republicans, voting against the Republic because it wasn't the model they wanted. And John Howard, the Prime Minister, was obliged by the Republican um, convention mm. to put forth a referendum in front of the Australian people for a Republic, and they loaded the question. Yeah. Right. And people who are like the whole thing that Dutton is trying to do with the constantly baiting elbow going, oh, there's not enough detail. Oh, there's not enough detail is to try and get elbow to fight on the territory he wants, which is a, a premise for this constitutional change, which is necessary for us to yeah. move into the next phase, which is treaty negotiation, truth telling the restaurant. There has to be a change to the constitution. Um, what, what, Dutton wants is detail is a is a great way of splitting people yeah. like it was with the Republic. Like, do you want a? It was not. Should a, there be a thousand people in the voice or a hundred people in the voice? Yeah, and should they be elected by all Australians or just by yeah, First yeah, Nations yeah, yeah, Australians? Yeah. Like, that's what the Conservatives want because it works so well for them yeah. in 1999 and sank the Republic. And because no, if, if there are five elements to the question and people disagree with one, they'll probably vote no. Right? Yeah, and that's what happened. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. And all these people who were like, oh, well, I'm holding out for the Republic, I won't. Well, a lot of those people have died of old age since they did that because yeah. that was 24 years ago and there is no Republic question referendum coming up anytime soon because the Democratic like the democratic case was made that the majority of Australians didn't want the republic and why would anyone prioritize it as an issue yeah like yeah. because there was no democratic mandate and this is why like the 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 voice process is so important because these opportunities do not come up that often you know and right. it's mobilizing support behind that principle that we must be on a path to justice that is what the yes campaign is and, you know, while Lydia is existing outside of that system, and she is, like she is not advocating a plan, she is making demands yeah. like of what she wants and, you know, the movement I was raised in, this is what I want. But it's like where does that exist? Show me what that path looks like and who supports it and that you have majority support for it and that any of these transparencies, checks, balances, majoritarian commitments are in place to make that case on behalf of First Nations Australians. And she can't do that. Well, this is the thing, right? She didn't run for the Senate as the Black Sovereign Party or the Black Republic Party or any of those things. She has, over a fairly short period of time, put herself in a position to get a six-year term in the Senate and immediately quit the political party that got her there and then declared herself leader of this other movement that the vast majority of Australians I don't think had even heard of, which increasingly doesn't look like uh, it is a democratic, has a democratic process. I don't know. The detail isn't there, right? But certainly is not the process that 80% of Indigenous 
Australians have said they want, which is the voice. And it just seems so undemocratic. Look, we need to move on. This is obviously going to continue. I mean, Lydia Thorpe is in the Senate for six years. The, the voice referendum is going to happen this year. This is undoubtedly going to be something that takes up a lot of uh, time. Oh, yeah, because as energy. an independent senator, she's she's not going to be bound to any Greens decisions and it has altered the balance of power in the Senate. Yeah. so Meaning that to pass legislation, the government, uh, the Labor Party, don't, uh, don't only need either the Liberals or the Greens to support them, but in the case of if they get support from the Greens, like if they're legislating mm-hmm. from the left, mm. um, they will also need the support of uh, the Jackie Lambie Network mm. and David Pocock and or Lydia because it changes yeah. that number. Yeah. That one extra Green makes a difference. Absolutely. My prediction is that, you know, Lydia loves the media attention. I mean, yep. let's be honest, that just like Corey Bernardi, just like... Um, anyone who starts their own political party or declares themselves a leader of a movement, you know, publicity is a big part of it. Yeah. And as an independent senator will be in a position to sink legislation, my prediction, and I very rarely make political predictions, is that it could get very sticky on the Labor government's agenda and that a double dissolution while Labor have such a clear lead over Liberals in the polls is not out of the question. Well, that's a big prediction. Yeah, I wasn't it is. expecting that today. But look, I mean, I will certainly say this. I don't think there'll be any piece of legislation that that ha- that needs uh, the crossbench uh, to vote for it in order to pass where Lydia Thorpe doesn't hold it up until she gets at least some airtime or column inches in the media uh, before she casts her vote. I, I, will, I will make that prediction. Um, I think predicting a double dissolution that's a big call, but look, I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility. We've had them before, and we've had them, um, and it's usually because there's some wild cards in the Senate who just yeah. who just go against the grain. And look, talking about going against the grain, talking about democracy, of course, one of the great annual traditions of the Western democratic process is the United States State of the Union address by the President of the United States, in this case, Joe Biden, where he addresses a joint sitting of Congress to give an update. Not just a joint sitting of Congress, but all the judges of the Supreme Court and the entire cabinet, who, by the way, do not come from the Congress because Americans are weird. That's right. Presidents get to pick their cabinet. And they don't have to be elected. Correct. Okay, weirdos, because they don't believe in democracy. I know, I know, and they haven't reformed their constitution in a really long time. It's a Roman republic. It's not a real democracy. It is. They elect a king, basically. They elect a king. It is weird. They asked Washington if he wanted the job for life. Anyway, doesn't matter. Moving on. Joe Biden has given a State of the Union address, and Van, you've you've been across this bit today. It it has... He has played it really well, hasn't he? He's actually amazing, and... Jonathan V. Last is a, a columnist for The Bulwark, which is this sort of amazing anti-Trump magazine um, that has, you know, people like Bill Crystal and Tim Miller and guys who used to be Republican operatives who were like, yeah, no, we've reached our limit, we mm. can't deal with Republicans anymore, Run the, have this quite amazing publication. And JVL, who's one of their best columnists, he was just he had this columnist day, which is Americans like, what do you want? Like, what do you actually want? So Joe Biden has had two of the most productive and successful years of 
any American president ever. Yeah. Like he has turned around the unemployment situation in America. They now have record low unemployment. This is a free market system and they've got unemployment down to 3.4%. Yeah. His administration's created 14 million new jobs. Yeah. They've economically rebounded from the pandemic. Um, the inflation that was threatening is being brought under control. Yeah. Like it is quite extraordinary. He passed the biggest infrastructure bill since FDR. Um, they're rebuilding ports and bridges and pumping government money into redevelopment. Um, they passed the micro the Chips Act, so they're rebuilding their tech capacity. Yeah. Like it's jobs, 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 and industry investment, all the things like good progressive governments yeah. do. With renewable energy, the whole renewable energy recognizes the signs of climate change, trying to transition the American economy away from oil and gas. Although he did say in his speech today that oil and gas is going to be with them until they can transition out of it, like, um, but. He, he, but he's also done things on like really important social issues. He's passed the first assault weapons ban since Clinton. Um, he got up and he said, if you try, because the Republicans now control the lower house, they yep. control the Congress. And he was like, if you put up bills to make abortion illegal, I will veto them. He has expanded um, Medicaid, uh, capped the price of insulin, diabetes, of course, being one of the biggest killers in the United States. Yep. And he he's talked about wanting to expand that. Like he's doing it. He acknowledged police violence against the black community and, you know, acknowledged like drug debt, like and 75 minutes. And it's interesting because the Republicans have been trying to characterize Joe Biden as a doddering old man, that he's senile, that he wears nappies, that he's, you know, yeah. puppeteered. Literally, this argument has been made that he's puppeteered by the, you know, like evil World Bank satanic pedophiles who live under pizza restaurants. QAnon talking points. That's QAnon talking points. And the Republicans actually trot out a lot of QAnon talking points. They really do. And anybody who's read my book will be seeing how Republicans are parroting the QAnon talking points, Mm -hmm. the evil cabal who rape and eat children. Even against each other now. Well, yes. So this is what's happening. So- where where we are is that the Republicans are now high on their own supply of QAnon nonsense. Yeah. And a lot of QAnon adjacent representatives or people who at least pay lip service to the conspiracy mm. movements are members of the Republican Congress, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, obviously mm. um, George Santos, who's the compulsive liar mm. who said his mother died on 9-11 and she wasn't even in America yeah. at the time. And, you know. Trump himself, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Trump, obviously, serial lie, lies, lies, lies. Um, like Biden is very far from Sinol. In fact, mm. it turns out that he's probably the most sophisticated political player in American politics for some time um, because he's been able to forge these incredible coalitions and pass all this legislation. And in the speech today, he was talking, was it about Social Security? Oh, it's absolutely brilliant. So before the congressional midterm elections, the Republicans, Rick Scott, who I think is from Texas, who's just like a reprehensible right-wing scumbag, was giving speeches about how they want to dismantle Social Security, which is their pension system. Yeah you know, such as it is in America, and um, Medicaid, which is their Medicare, Medicaid, which is their um, health care, but which safety only, net, yeah, safety. the safety net, and overwhelmingly only applies to uh, retirees, yeah. right? And he was like, oh, you know, these things shouldn't be guaranteed and we should get rid of them and every person for themselves. He would have said every man for himself because yeah. he's a Republican. Um, and, you know, this sort of ultra neocon, small state, small government, let the people fend for themselves. If you're not rich, it's your fault kind of yeah. thing. And Biden um, 
today was like, you know, I'm not going to let you dismantle Medicare. I'm not going to let you dismantle Social Security. These are birthrights of Americans. They participate in that system with the expectation that they'll exist, you know, and you you have pledged to destroy them. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was dressed like the white witch from The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, which was desperately weird, although on brand, um, was like heckling, you're a liar and you're a liar, and they're all screaming because they're all performative yeah. now. Yeah. And Biden was like, you know, we have these programs because they support our seniors and they support our elders and everyone should. Who in this chamber doesn't support our elders? Are you going to say that? Because I support our elders. Stand up if you support American elders. And, of course, they all stand up. Yeah. And he's like, how great to see this. How great to see this this unanimity of, of, of con- congressional representatives committing to our elders, committing to maintaining Medicaid, committing to maintaining Social Security, and he literally trapped them. And there are all of these Republicans standing on their feet, <laughs> applauding, trapped, applauding, applauding these programs that they want to get rid of. And it was just absolutely exquisite politics and it was like you know let let the record state every single person has pledged to maintain these projects and i'm just like no one is better at this he is the he's the white wolf yeah. or he's aslan maybe i don't know to extend the paradigm but he was he was phenomenal yeah. like he was ac- actually phenomenal because he's playing He's playing this really careful game in such a polarised and difficult America where political messages, and they're different to ours, like they might speak English but the words have different meanings and the way that they communicate politics is very different to the way that we do. But he's running a populist line and he was great. He's like, you know, we've got to, there's no way a teacher should be taxed a higher percentage or a firefighter than a billionaire. And he was like, in this country, um, we should reward work, not wealth. I mean, these are revolutionary words from a president of the United States of America. And, of course, you know, they're popular statements. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm an yeah. American. I work hard. You know, I drive my truck and eat seals or whatever they do. And sorry, any Americans listening to this, if you eat seals, I guess that's your fundamental right under the American Constitution. Mm, I'm not sure that is true. But anyway. Anyway, I've never eaten seal. Um Although I hear their eyeballs are delicious, um, the but this is the thing. Like he's he's Please plowing this very careful line. To. I mean, it is. Although what Jonathan V. Last was saying in the Bulwark is that his popularity is terrible. Mm, mm. You know, like and a lot of Democrats don't want him to run again. But he seems to be delivering his pitch for the presidency again in twenty twenty four saying we've got to finish the job. Apparently he said finish the job like 16 mm. times or something and that seems to be the line because that's what's shaping up. And what was really interesting was after this, you know, bread and butter, good mm. jobs, build the middle class, tax the billionaires kind of speech, Sarah Sanders, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, mm. who you might mm-hmm. remember from such appearances as the press secretary for Donald Trump, mm-hmm. the worst president in American history, and like a compulsive liar. Now governor in- Governor of Arkansas. Arkansas. How yeah. far it has fallen from the Clinton era. Um, she gave the response because somebody from the other side always yeah. gives a response. And she literally stood there after 75 minutes of Joe Biden extolling the virtues of investment, a healthy economy, and was like, the Democrats have no answers on the economy or inflation. They're just pursuing left-wing culture wars. And it's like, aren't you guys, like, essentially trying to get drag queens interned? Like, yeah. isn't that isn't that your shtick? And just to be very clear, like, we've hit, 
heat culture war with the American right mm. because they they don't have an economic argument. No. They don't have one. No. And they can't argue with the reality that people are doing really well and, under Biden. And and they this is the party that cut taxes and now doesn't want to borrow the money that they need to borrow in order to give the taxes back, right? Like this yeah. is the this is the party whose economic policy is essentially so chaotic that they may well collapse the entire American economy. Um, and at the same time, they're trying to pass laws to ensure that people are allowed, people are forced to, not just allowed, but forced to put sugar in milk and that teachers have to take books off shelves oh, unless well, they have a state-approved book monitor this or is, something. This is just in the past like week or so. So we had Ted Cruz come out and insist that the Grammys were satanic because yeah. Kim Petras and Sam Smith sung their song Unholy with like a The Ring movie hill theme. Yeah. And what has, is- has Ted Cruz never like walked around the streets of his own neighborhood during Halloween? Because I mean I haven't been to America, but I've seen a lot of American movies about Halloween. Yeah. And there's a lot of people dressed up as the devil. I know, right? And it's kind of a thing with pop music is that it, a lot of it is yeah. about like fancy costumes and lighting effects. It was bizarre. Like so and it's also particularly funny if you know the lyrics to the song, which is all about um, a man who is straight acting or pretending like going to clubs and, and right. getting off, um, which is very funny yeah. and uh, particularly funny that Ted Cruz took such offence. Straight to away. Yeah. And he's not the only one. I mean, they've just got a perpetual outrage machine that there's always an attack mm. on the real America, the real America, the real America, the real America. So pop music is an attack on the real America. The Grammys are an attack on the real America. And it moves in the state of New York with Mayor, oh, sorry, in the city of New York where Mayor Eric Adams has talked about wanting a more, a healthier, mm. um, like a healthier food on the menu for, um, city provided meals in, in mm. state mm. schools and has said that, you know, like sugary drinks like chocolate milk are something that could be reviewed and perhaps removed mm. from the menu. Elise Stefanik, who is the third most powerful Republican in Washington, right? Mm-hmm. She's third in the line of seniority in the Republican Party, was putting out tweets saying save chocolate milk and has proposed a federal law to mandate schools to serve sugared milk to children. Like that that's her this is land of the free and don't inf- don't tread on me, don't infringe my liberty. <laughs> you know, the Grammys are a problem because of the costumes. Um and the fact that Sam Smith is non-binary and genderqueer and Kim Petras is like an out transsexual woman, I think might. Yeah. And they're both quite sexy. I think he's probably a big issue for all of them. But we've had culture wars over the shoes that M&Ms wear, not being feminine enough. Yeah, that's right. That's just really weird. But in Florida, where Ron DeSantis is building a case to for the presidential nomination, Ron DeSantis has gone further. So they have banned more than 170 books from school libraries pretty innocuous like picture books yeah. because they might have content that is about the African-American experience or they might have content which is about, stop me, LGBTQIA children or their families, unbelievable, like anything that sort of exists outside of an extremely narrow worldview. So they're pulling books. Um, they disaccredited the teaching of African-American studies. Um, they've got this Stop Woke Act where there are things you're not allowed to teach or say. Obviously the Don't Say Gay Bill where you're not allowed to mention if, like, even if you are, say, a lesbian woman who's married to another lesbian woman, you are not allowed to talk about your relationship with your wife because that would be considering indoctrinating children. Um, This is a country where people quite, there's a state where people quite proudly 
post videos of themselves and small children with assault rifles firing hundreds of rounds. Oh, yeah, they're pursuing permitless carry. So, no, like the, the, the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution that gun rights people yeah. use to defend the right to bear the right to bear arms yeah. is that you have the right to bear arms in a well regulated militia yeah. well a permitless Necessary carry for the defense of the state yeah, yeah yeah a permitless carry is not sure. well regulated it is the opposite because yeah. it is not regulated Look, but but the popularity that DeSantis is building has met a uh, response from Donald Trump who in another echo of QAnon talking points was accusing Ron DeSantis of pedophilic behavior on um, Truth Social, which is his this, social media. Platform. I mean, they're just so chaotic, and and even that idea that Biden is unpopular. I think the midterms, you know, that was the narrative going into the midterms. Biden had the best midterm result of any U.S. president since the Second World War, if not, I think since the Civil War. Mm. Um, and and so, of course, they're still running that narrative. Look, it'll be interesting to see how uh, this year plays out. I think the. Uh, I think the primaries do begin in 2023 for 2024. It's going to be insane. And it will be something that we will keep an eye on. We have to end with some good news very, very quickly uh, about Australian scientists uh, have found a way to make green hydrogen from seawater without filtering that. Yep, they've worked out a way that they can catalyse um, seawater without filters to turn it into fuel with the only emission produced is water, which is kind of amazing. So they're now working on expanding that to scale. That would be totally like revolutionary, totally life-changing. In Finland, a scuba diver who was like, ugh, all this blue-green algae bloom that's being produced by fertilizer runoff and like poisoning um, water, hey, I'm a uh, chemical engineer. I reckon I can turn this blue-green algae bloom into something useful, and it turns out that they can turn it into plastics, food products, all kinds of consumer items, and, you know, creating this circularity where removing pollution also creates products that can be used. So two good pieces of news from the sea. From the sea, and let me just say that the the hydrogen process is uh, being led by two professors from the University of Adelaide, Professor and Professor Zheng. Uh, that's not why I was in Adelaide today, but it's really good to see uh, an Australian university leading a, a, a world-leading process. That is all of the news for the week on Wednesday. Of course, we will be in Adelaide, both of us, in two weeks' time to do the week on Wednesday. In a yurt. Live. Uh, and we will also be attending the launch of the Yes campaign. But we're very excited about that. We are honoured and humbled to be invited. Absolutely honoured and humbled. But, of course, the week on Wednesday, we reach ever-growing audience of people. We're closing in on that million downloads mark. And it's because of the people who support our show, whether you like, share, listen, uh, review, uh, but also the people who do chip in, whether they chip in once off, a buck a week, $10 a month as our Extend the Reach supporters do, or $20 a month as our Cadre supporters do, it all goes back into the show and into getting more listeners for the show. Uh, as you can tell from the quality of our sound equipment, it doesn't go into tech, it doesn't go into staffing, it goes into getting the message to more and more people. So we want to give a shout out to our Cadre and our Extend the Reach supporters for their extra 
support that they give us. Van, have you got the cadre there? Watch me go. Claire, Steph, Karina Bali, Jane Campbell, Leonard Gibbons, Jason Dallas, Camille, Akiva Burris, Kristen Cicluna, Gabe Kramer, welcome to Australia, Gabe Kramer, Stephen Aitken, Trish Corey, Greg Miller, Kathy Birch, Fiona McNeil, Ad Evergreen Vs, Geoda, Jed Carney, Christine Cole, Justin Dando, Tamara James, Bromwin, Punch Drunk Veteran, Jenny Forster Seven, Joe Fleming, Andrew Pascoe, Cassandra Tui, Addison Official, Ian Hampson, no Twitter for me, Hannah Honda, Sam Herriot, Matt Bush, Richard Sands, Glenn Robbie, Brash Daniels, Kylie Phillips, Linda Cartwright, Atley Ann Shingles, Donna Chapman, I don't have Twitter. My name is Susan Myers, at Kerry Nash 20, Billy Three McCabe, Narissa Simon, at Katagal, Laura Nash and Banjo, Matthew Hadley, at Narungaman, Shane Horsfall, John Sharpen, Peter Bath, Aaron Rollins, Louise Watson. Our extended reach supporters are Helen, Damien Marley, Michelle Norton, Rodney Slap, Cameron, Tri Dragon, Daniel, at Crazy Keza, John DeHaan, at Ange Fennel. Anna Uren at Ross Kenner 888, Kathy Burgess, Kirsten Black, Melanie Dinning, Jody A, Penelope Judge, Jane Holloway, Spirit of Anger and Hope, at K Not, Love Your Work, Didham, Sharon Kelly, Beck and Lola, Richard Graver, Someone, Vita W, Tanya George, and Adita Hannum, Maura Louise Hawker, Megan Weckett, Graham Oxley, Beck Cody, Tracy Lucas, Sandy Honan, Gail Vest, Greg Martin, Trainer, Amy Fawcett, Not on Twitter, Sarah, Elian and Andrew, Ivis Billet, Andrew Bryan, Peter OC, Linda, Sam Hadid, Keir Patterson, Lizette Twizzle, Bunkum, Basher, Katie Ward, The Real Never Longbody, Sandy Bumgut at Not Sandy B, Renee McGee, Stuart Munn, Marky Mark at Vic M. Bit, Adrian Valente Maritza at Carriedale 68, Frank Nahus, Erica Pizzuti, Dan- Donald Vaughan, Joe Lapino, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Kerry Arthur, and Pauline Bate, you absolute legends. And thank you so much for supporting us. I'm sorry if I've been a bit snarky. I haven't been well. But look, I do want to say, Van, you read out the supporters' names so much better than I do. That week where you were unable to join us for the week on Wednesday. It took three times as long as I think I got at least half the names wrong. I do want to say also a special shout out to Claire, who went from being an Extend the Reach supporter to being a Cadre supporter this week. Of course, that is an option. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday to become a supporter. You will get episodes emailed to your inbox along with links that draw out some of the uh, detailed information that we do talk about on the show and hopefully, I think we're looking into uh, potentially a special offer for our supporters for uh, Fringe as well, Van. Yes, we've got a group ticket. Yeah, a group ticket. So if you and five buddies, five comrades, five members of your union, you know, five members of your branch or anything else want to come along in Adelaide, there's a special ticket for you. Also, we don't police concessions and things with tickets. No. So we're not going to ID anybody. If you're short on the dollars, just buy a concession ticket. Like if you've got if you've got more dollars, just consider that you'll be supporting somebody who doesn't have them to come. Obviously, our big issue is we like having our friends there. If you've got a copy of Q and on and on, and you'd like me to sign it, I'll be doing signings after our show in the yurt. But it should be really fun. Really looking forward to it. Don't forget to tune into the weekend wrap with me on Sunday afternoon where we'll cover off the back end of the week and what you can look out for for the week coming ahead as well. Until then, love you, Vanny. I love you too. Thanks for today. Bye. Bye.